Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. On this episode, we'll find out how to become more productive without adding more stress to our lives. We'll explore the techniques that we can all use to be the most growth-oriented and effective version of ourselves. And joining us is Alice Boys, a clinical psychologist turned writer whose latest book is called Stress-Free Productivity, a personalized toolkit to become your most efficient and creative self. Alice, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, so just to clarify, I used to be a clinical psychologist, but I've since 2013, I've been a been a writer. So I made a made a career transition. And why did you do that? It coincided with moving to America. So um, it, 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 it kind of evolved. Like I started out blogging as a way to, of marketing my psychology practice in New Zealand back in 2008. So sort of really at the beginning of, of blogging for those kinds of things. And uh, after I'd been blogging on my, my own site for a while, I started writing for psychology today. And then uh, about a year into writing for psychology today, I got approached by two literary agents in, in, a, in a week and uh, got an opportunity to do a book. And so it just kind of coincided with also making another another life change uh, where I made that switch over to writing. Why did you decide to focus on productivity? So I started out writing about anxiety. So my first book is about is about anxiety. Uh, and over time, I've sort of transitioned into other topics. So I started writing for Harvard Business Review. So so tackling a lot of mental health topics for them and then this book is really productivity through the lens of mental health right so that was a a a topic that was of a lot of interest but hadn't really been tackled uh, so much and I've always had an interest in business and it's that's not a very common interest for people in psychology people in psychology don't tend to be interested in business but for me I I was so I, I probably would have been voted the least likely person in my in my class at you know at high school or or elementary school to become a psychologist because I was very sort of interested in business and politics and those kinds of things uh but so it was a it's sort of a crossover interest for me that isn't a crossover interest for a lot of other people tell us more about the connection between mental health and productivity I think that's fascinating yeah so a lot of people um think that I'm inter- that I sort of write about work-life balance, and that's really not my focus. So my focus is on uh, is on on doing great work, right? I'm interested in what helps people do great work, and I'm interested in what helps people become more mentally healthy and do great work at the same time. So I'm interested in the strategies that improve both the, the, those things, so that there's no so that there's no trade-off. So I want to help people do the the most innovative work that they can do. And I want to help people improve their mental health at the same time. And luckily, there are actually lots of strategies that that fall into that category that do both of those things at the same time. One of the strategies that I love is the if-then plan. That that gave me a lot of worry-free, like just great ideas for how we can be less anxious about the future. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So one of the one of the huge concepts and the book is, is this idea of psychological flexibility, which is a concept developed by a professor named Todd Cashton and has a sort of research group. And part of the idea of that is the idea that rather than trying to get rid of negative emotions, you use your negative emotions to fuel your dedication to your goals, right? So an if-then plan is where you 
you where it's if you experience a particular negative emotion like whether it's something to do with social comparison or anxiety or guilt or regret or any of those negative emotions that come up for us in the context of of work and you and you plan what you're going to do then when you experience those negative emotions so if I feel angry, like you know, angry about some sort of injustice at, at, in the in the work context, what would you do then? If I feel anxious, if I feel regret, what would you do then? So it's a way of of instead of being instead of letting your your emotions take you off the track you want to be on, helping them feel your your focus and dedication. I know that you say that outstanding work comes about by alternating between being focused and letting your mind wander. Explain more about that. Yeah, so part of the part of the book is, you know, this is uh, this idea of stress-free productivity, right? And part, and there's been this huge emphasis in productivity on concepts like grit and willpower and focus and those kinds of things. And my idea is that you actually do your best work by alternating between using your focused mind and your unfocused mind. So your unfocused mind is actually an incredible tool for productivity as well, right? So if you, for example, there's research showing that lots of different kinds of problem solving benefit from an incubation period. So that's where you like, you hear a problem and instead of trying to solve it straight away, you go off and do something else for five minutes and then come back and and try and solve the problem. And your, your unconscious mind will be, will be working on it in the meantime. Um, So one of the things I do is I've done a deep work session. I go and do something where, where my mind can wander. So I might go and drive, drive and run an errand, or I'll go for a walk or something like that. And during that time, my brain often sort of subconsciously picks up on where I left off with the work. So it might help me prioritize, or it might help me fix a stuck, a stuck point that I got to in the work, or it might, uh, spark a, a germ of an idea for something I can do as an offshoot from the work. So if I'm doing something that if I'm, if I'm writing a book, I might have an idea for a blog post that isn't the right fit for the book, but as an, off, as an offshoot of what I've been working on. So without actually trying to, my unconscious mind does a, a whole lot of work for me. Uh, and that's a, that's a much less stressful way to be productive than this, obsession that we've had with willpower and focus and being undistracted and grit and all of these things, which the human mind just doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it's not focused all the time. Uh, and trying to do things that way is just harder than it needs to be. In a lot of ways, I feel like scrolling through social media is kind of unfocused and sometimes actually gives me a mental break from what I'm doing. I'll just, you know, say, okay, I need a minute if I'm doing real work and I'm going to look down at my phone, I'm going to scroll through for a minute and then I go back to work. Is that maybe something I'm wanting to convince myself actually works or, or does it? Yeah, see, I, see I'm, what I'm big on is not believing anything anyone says, but but using self-experimentation, right? So everyone will tell you that certain things are bad like that, but you can tell, you can, you sort of know from your own experiences, whether they are or aren't. Like one of the big things that happened to me is I get sort of tunnel vision on things. So I will spend, I'll spend too long on a small detail of whatever I'm working on that doesn't, doesn't need that level of attention. Like I sort of lose forest for the trees type thing and when I take a, sh- a, a little break like what you're talking about like going and reading a blog post or checking twitter or something like that I come back to my work with more of a big 
perspective. Like I can come back and whatever I've been obsessing about that didn't need to be be obsessed about, I I can see that. I can see the big picture. I can see how things fit together better when I come back from a little break like that. So I know for me that that's quite useful. But so much of sort of, the sort of standard cliche productivity advice would tell you that that would be a bad thing. Um, but I know for me, it isn't. So you, a lot of these things that you can test for yourself, you don't need to rely on anybody else. You have to be a little bit aware of, of confirmation bias, sort of what you're, what, what you were saying, you know, do I just want to think a certain way? Um, but if you keep that in mind, you can really self-experiment and find out whether the ideas that everybody talks about, including mine, whether they're true for you or not. What do you say to someone who says, you know, I'm just not a creative person. I just can't tap into that. So that is a common misbelief that people have about themselves, right? That it's, we have people sort of bang on about focus and discipline, right? But, and this idea that we're, we're terrible at that, but most of us actually do pretty well at at focus and discipline. You know, most of us file our taxes and pay our bills and, you know, hug our children and, and all, you know, put a jacket on them when it's cold. You know, we do reasonably well at focus and discipline on balance, right? There are obviously some imperfections there, but a lot of us put absolutely no effort at all into creativity and innovation, right? It's just something that, that is not even on our radar screens. We've, we've, we're, as kids, that was something that was part of our uh, ourselves and our lives, but it kind of gets stamped out if you don't go into a traditionally creative career. And what happens is that people that don't have a lot of don't don't do that a lot it it feels really exhausting to try it or it feels really outside of their wheelhouse but the more you do it the more it will feel within your wheelhouse and the other thing is is that there's just like creativity is incredibly easy to spark so there's all sorts of experiments where they will will induce creativity and then test people's performance on creative tasks Um, and and it, it is actually incredibly easy to help yourself be more creative but the more you do it, the more you will, the, the less exhausting you will find it. With so many people working at home right now and just staring at their computer screen, they're in a small room and they don't really get to leave their house. How can they find a spark for creativity? Yeah, so there are there are all sorts of ways. Just one of the things in recent years is that sort of the idea has been that motivation is for wimps. We should just have these like rigid habits and we should rely on rigid habits to, to be the thing that keeps us on track. But I actually think that inspiration can be, can be really useful. So we know that, that, um, that, that nature, for example, improves creativity. So they've done studies where, um, where people's creative problem solving improved after they'd been on like a four day backpacking trip. So any, any exposure to nature will improve your creativity some, somehow. So if that's something that's inspirational to you, but you can also look at whatever, whatever your inspirations are, either, either kind of in a specific sense or in a tonal sense. So for example, I get really inspired by stories of people being brave and stories of people thinking outside the box. So I'm, I'm homeschooling my six-year-old at, at the moment and we're learning about how electricity was invented and all of the different people and personalities involved in that and how how that happened and how these how the people that were involved in that um, it came to make their discoveries. And that's hugely inspirational to me. That's huge, hugely inspirational to me to think, you know, I can try and make discoveries. I can try and, and do that. So, so 
tapping into your inspirations is something that I think is, is, is useful for people. Do you think in general, the pandemic has resulted in people being more effective and more creative because it has given us somewhat of a, of a break from the routine that we'd all known all of our lives up until then? Yeah. So I think it's been a really mixed bag for people. So there is lots of evidence that changes in your routines help with creativity. So there was a, um, a, a there was a, an incident with, and, and it helped with efficiency as well. There was a, a time uh, kind of a long, long time ago where there was a, a, stri- a some sort of strike on the London underground and a bunch of the stations were closed and people had to find new ways to, new ways to get to work right so they what they figured out from that was that the the cost of the disruption was actually outweighed by the fact that people found these more efficient ways to get to work so often when we have a when we have something that breaks us from our routines it shakes things up in a in a good way for us but then on the other hand the pandemic has been incredibly stressful in lo- in lots of ways and that's probably not especially useful for for creativity so for some people that the, the stress of that you know increasing things like depression uh, wouldn't have been useful for creativity so i think i think it's been quite a mixed bag and that's one of the things that's been really hard about the pandemic is that in some ways we've all had the same experience but there have been a lot of sort of winners and losers in it um so internally some of us have loved it and and some of us have had these really stressful times talk to us a little bit about automation tools and how like the effect that they have on creativity because my initial thought would be oh if everything's done automatically then you know you're not really thinking, you know, even, even with having a calendar tool, if something is just on your calendar, you're not thinking about, Hey, do I want this or not? It's just on your calendar. If somebody can add it to yours online, how do these actually help us in the long run? So one of the ways that they can help with creativity is, so this is the obvious one, right? That they, that they take out some of that tedious, repetitive work, right? That they that they free up a bit of mental, they take it out some admin and free up some mental energy. But the way that I'm sort of more interested in is when you figure out an a, a, a tool, like an automation tool, and then you think about all the different, then once you've got that tool and you use it in one way, then you'll think of like all sorts of other ways that you could apply could use that tool and some of them will be creative ways right the, once you've got a tool that really works for you then you'll, you'll think of other creative ways to use it how effective do you think things like worry and guilt are in terms of us being productive i mean if i feel guilty if i don't get something done doesn't that motivate me or if i worry that i won't get it done doesn't it motivate me to be more productive so every every mental state is is useful in its own way. So it's sort of an old-fashioned idea in psychology was that you know you need to be happy to be productive. So there was this sort of from the 1990s onwards, there was this um, the field of positive psychology got started. So until that time, psychology really only studied negative emotions, and then it started studying positive emotions. And a lot of theories came out around the, the idea that, you know, we had to make workplaces happy if we wanted people to be productive. We had to keep people happy. And, you know, we got, you can see that in, in you know, places like Google and, and those kinds of things that, that really try and have all of these things about the workplace that keep, keep employees happy. Um, but the more modern idea is that all mental states 
affect thinking in, in different ways. And they all have pros and cons to them. So um, some emotions like awe, like awe, like if you go to the Grand Canyon and you and you have this sense of awe, your your mind will be more expansive in that emotional state. And when you are in a in a negative emotional state, you'll you'll have more sort of tunnel vision that you'll concentrate in. So in a general sense, positive emotions tend to be associated with broad thinking and negative emotions tend to be associated with narrow thinking but all of them can be kind of useful like um sort of grief is something for example that encourages a lot of autobiographical thinking and sometimes that can be useful like if you um if a if if a if someone dies or you get sort of a mortality salience cue that can get you thinking about well what you know what about me about the meaning in your life and that can prompt, can prompt you to want to do less of the the sort of moderately important or unimportant work and want to focus on things that are really meaningful. So every emotion is useful in its own way. They all affect thinking in different ways and they all have upsides and downsides to them. So like, for example, excitement is I can concentrate through almost any emotion. So negative emotions don't really affect my focus partic- particularly much because I've got habits that um, that enable me to focus through feeling sad or, you know, those kinds of things, but excitement is an emotion that I find it very hard to concentrate with. So once you kind of know that and really understand how your brain works, you can see how, how different emotions all have benefits. I like how you address that specifically with things like high achievers always wake up early. That's not necessarily true for everyone. And it really inhibits our ability to think of ourselves as high achievers if we don't get up early. So basically we just need to find our own solution then, right? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. So one of the things that, um, that I came across, I don't know, a month or so ago was there was this funny exchange between Reese Witherspoon and Ina Garten on Twitter. And Reese Witherspoon was saying, you know, I've, I've got all these new habits for the, for the new year. I'm doing all these sort of virtuous new habits, like all of the things that you would say that, that you know, are part of typical productivity advice, right? And Ina Garten chipped in and said, you know, actually I'm doing the opposite. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm lying in bed playing games on my phone or something. <laughs> and obviously these are two successful people, right? And, but you don't need like the habits, habits, rigid habits and getting up early and all of that sort of traditional productivity advice is one way to be productive that, that, is, that really suits people with a certain temperament, certain personality type. And everyone benefits it to, from it to an extent but it's not for everyone there are other ways to there are other ways to be the the most productive version of you if that's not your temperament like I find that um that too much consistency in my routine makes my mood really really flat and I don't like it I don't like it at all I also don't like the feeling of flow everybody you know talks about flow being this this great thing but I find it really disorientating so I I almost find it finding myself having a feeling of like jet lag or something after I've had a lot of flow. I don't like that feeling of a lot of time having passed while I'm in a sort of blur of productivity. Uh, so there, you really do need to understand yourself and, and know you don't need to conform to these stereotypes and you don't need to feel bad if you don't you know, fit into this box of, of one way to be productive. Tell us more about how keeping a journal can 
maybe help you determine more about your own productivity style and your creativity style? Yes, I don't think it needs to be, I don't think it needs to be keep a journal, but the idea is that self-observation really helps, right? So through, through self-observation is what is how you'll learn about how you work best. And there is there are lots of different ways to do it. So one of the, for an example, um, one thing would be if you have been procrastinating on something and you finally get yourself to do it, right? What you want to do is understand what got you to that, right? If it wasn't, so something that, if you think about something that doesn't have an imminent deadline, right? So we all sort of have situations where it's where the deadline comes up and we eventually get around to doing something. But what about something like cleaning out your garage or something that didn't, that never had an imminent deadline? You've wanted to get yourself to do it for months and you never have you and and you do it you need to understand what it was that got you to do that thing so that's the kind of self-observation that you can do the other thing you could do um is when you have a when you have when you do a so we often have routines for tasks we do often but what's really useful is to have a routine or a system for how you approach novel tasks right so so it's easier to procrastinate doing novel tasks because we don't have a clear system for how we go about them but you can have a kind of generic system for how you approach novel tasks things that that don't feel in your wheelhouse and how you can kind of develop that system for yourself is by observing observing yourself when you do a novel task and then sort of um, reverse engineering a system from that I'm really curious to know what your observations have been during the pandemic when people have been working alone, not in the presence of others. Have they been more or less productive? Yeah, again, I think this has been a huge experiment for people in getting to know themselves. So there's just been just such a wide a wide variety of experiences. Like some people have been desperate to get back to the office and, and will say I haven't been productive at home, uh, whereas other people have loved, have have loved that other people have loved being able to go for a bike ride in the middle of the day or they've found that their you know their eating habits have improved a lot because they've um because they're at home or other people found that their eating habits have gotten a lot worse because they're just sort of in the fridge all day so it's been a a really useful exper- experiment um for people to learn about themselves um and some people have learned that it, it really suits them to, to, to be at home or to, uh, to be alone more. And some people have really struggled with it. What are the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to being um, effective and creative and productive? Biggest mistakes. I think the, the point we sort of touched on early, earlier that people don't use their unfocused mind as much. People, people, as, as much as they, sh- as they should. So people really think that it's all about focus and concentration and being un- undistracted. And I think people have really unrealistic expectations for themselves. So people have this idea of, you know, whatever your job is, a productive lawyer, a productive accountant, a productive freelancer, or whatever, a productive teacher, you have this image in your, in your mind of, of, of what that is. And often it's a really warped image. It's something that's not, um, that's not, that's not really achievable. Um, so I think that that it's yeah not not using your your unfocused mind as much. I think it's trying to conform to to productivity stereotypes rather than seeing that there are actually lots of pathways that you can potentially take. And it's really about 
getting to know yourself and learning from yourself rather than trying to adopt somebody else's system. Uh, and I think probably the third one would be using self-criticism as a, as a motivator, that self-criticism is not an effective motivator, um, but that's what a lot of people do. As you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. So at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about how to be productive in a stress-free way? And obviously you have a lot of these, you wrote a book about it, but what's the biggest one that you wish you'd known long ago because it would have allowed you to just enjoy your journey more? Oh, let me think. It's a lot of pressure to come up with the best, the, the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so, there, are, there are so many. Uh I think nobody told me the nobody told me that my my own personality could be a productive personality that I didn't need to change who I was to be productive that I could actually be productive through my own strengths and weaknesses so sometimes we sometimes working around your weaknesses leads to creativity so you know we, we we've all heard that idea that constraints can can lead to creativity and and in a way who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are are and it, you know, particularly your weaknesses are a kind of constraint and and you can your your best kind of most creative ideas that help you be that help you be productive won't be copying someone else's system they'll be finding cre- creative ways around your own sort of weaknesses and limitations and working with your own personality. So, so sort of the idea that, yeah, that I could, that I could be the most productive version of me by embracing who I am rather than trying to conform to, you know, anyone else's system. And Alice, how can people connect with you on social media or the internet? Yeah. So uh, um, they can follow me on Instagram or follow me on Twitter. Those are, um, those are a couple of the, the main ways. All right. And you also have a website, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my website is aliceboys.com and there are, there'll be some resources for the, for the book, extra resources for the book uh, on there. The other, the other thing people can do is just Google my writing. So I've written, you know, 300 and something articles for psychology today and a, 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 and a lot for Harvard business review as well. So you can sort of Google my name and psychology today or my name and Harvard business review and see, see kind of what I'm about. Lots of wisdom. Thank you so much for imparting it to us. Really, we appreciate it. We all need it. Yeah. Again, our thanks to Alice Boyce, whose latest book is called Stress-Free Productivity, a personalized toolkit to become your most efficient and creative self. And again, her website is aliceboys.com. And that's boys spelled B-O-Y-E-S. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.